0: Welcome to On the Journey Conversation, sponsored by the Christian Women's Leadership Center of Women's Missionary Union. I'm your host, Sandy Wisdom Martin. Today I'm talking with John Herring. John is the CEO of Ironstream Media, a publishing company in Birmingham. He is also an entrepreneur, having started several small businesses. John can see the potential of connections everywhere, and i know you're going to enjoy the conversation. John, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be visiting with you today.
1: It's always a privilege. Love being with you as well. Well, John, tell me how did God call you to the ministry? Well, i think i was just adopted into it. My grandfather was a Southern Baptist pastor in Florida. I spent a lot of times, especially in the summer with him. And i remember going into my grandfather's office. And he had this huge wall of books. This is before I could read. I was probably four, maybe five. And I loved books. And I loved the times when he would read to me or my mom and dad would read to me. I thought it was just so cool that he got to study those really neat books. I actually have some of them in my library now. Then I followed my grandfather around. When he would make the hospital visits, I would go with him. He would preach the message on Sunday morning, and he would go out in front of the church and shake everyone's hand as they left, and I would shake hands with everybody as they were leaving, too, as a little guy. He introduced me to ministry. My grandmother was president of the WMU, and she ran the Vacation Bible School, and I remember going from Mission Friends all the way through, being a a part of everything that we did in church. And so... As I grew older, I was really more and more interested in music than anything else. And someone made the statement one day that, John, you'd be an excellent minister of music. I thought, well, why not? I've I've already been doing this for so long and I love to sing and I love to perform and be a part of worship services and did some things out at Shaco Springs when I was a kid and just enjoyed that part of it until I was a freshman at Sanford University thinking I was gonna be a minister of music. And I was introduced by Bob Burrows to what it really meant to be A musician. His first comment at the beginning of the first class was, Ladies and gentlemen, it's my job to make you change your major. Well, at the end of the semester, I shook his hand and I said, Congratulations. He said, For what? I said, I really want to be in religious education. Can I go? (laughs) (laughs) And really, that was what my heart was. Religious education, learning more about discipleship. I love the whole concept of studying through scripture going deeper, diving deeper into what Scripture meant, discipling other people. My mom was a LifeWay employee for 25-plus years, so spent a lot of time at Ridgecrest and Glorietta with her, going to discipleship conferences, and as she led conferences, and as she taught in churches, I would go. So I was kind of raised in it, kind of brought up in it. So you
0: finished your degree at Sanford, and then God called you to go to seminary.
1: Exactly. I finished the degree in the religion department at Sanford and knew that the next step for me was to go and study religious education. I went to Southwestern Seminary, got my master's in Christian ed, spent a few years there in Fort Worth growing through that, and then God called me to serve churches in, uh, primarily in Alabama after that point. What was the greatest thing you learned in seminary? The greatest thing I learned was that we're not all perfect. Sometimes ministry is messy. And sometimes, I've heard it said all my life, church would be really great if it weren't for all the people in it. (laughs) (laughs) I learned as an intern at a local church in the Fort Worth area that there's some messy things that happen in church. And there's some people whose, whose lives are just totally wrecked. You don't always have the perfect word or the right thing, or the right expression on your face. So being exposed to real-life situations, that was probably the biggest eye-opener for me. I think it is for a lot of folks who are called into ministry who've really never seen the other side of ministry, when it can be difficult.
0: We kind of go into it with rose-colored glasses, don't we? And we think, well, if God's leading us this direction, everything is going to be rosy.
1: Exactly, exactly. And it's not always the case, is it?
0: You're right about that. So then you leave Southwestern. What was your first role out of seminary?
1: Right out of seminary, Stacy and I went to First Baptist Church of Op, Alabama, down southern Alabama in Covington County. I was the minister of education and youth. Then we spent a few years in Fairhope at First Baptist Fairhope. In the early 90s, we came to the church at Brook Hills when it was just getting started. We actually met... In the WMU building, in this very building that we're in today, we met here for a couple of years as we started to develop our property and build the building for the church at Brook Hills.
0: Yes, you were here in this building, and you've admitted to me personally that your family left your mark in this building. Tell our listeners how your family left your mark in this building.
1: So, in the early days of the church at Brook Hills, We were using the whole building for education space as well as our worship facility, and the display for Annie Armstrong's bed was out in one of the main corridors of the building during that time. I got a disturbing call that the bed that was Annie Armstrong's bed that was in the lobby area had been broken come To find out, it was my own child who was jumping on the bed with a friend of his, and they broke the inboard or the footboard off of the bed. So, if you come and visit the museum and you walk in and you see the bed, you'll see there's a little crack there. That was because it was repaired because of uh, my son. I think he was three or four at the time I when he was jumping on the bed.
0: I love that story. And just so you know, those of you who are listening, we now keep Andy's bed in the museum. But John and I can show you where Annie's bed has been fixed. I think Annie would be okay with that. She loved children.
1: She might have been on there with them, jumping up and down, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Except she would have hit the ceiling. She was so tall. (laughs) Probably
1: would. So after Brook Hills, what did you do? After Brook Hills, I formed a consulting group and began to dabble in publishing, which led us to ultimately working with student life and life Bible study. Life Bible Study was actually purchased by the Navigators. So I spent a stint with the Navigators, working with them to help develop the curriculum even further. Then after a time, we discovered that Nav Press, the company that I worked for, they were actually going to move all their publishing rights to Tyndale. And when they did so, they were not going to take Life Bible Study with them. That gave us the opportunity to bring Life Bible Study back to Birmingham and to the Woman's Missionary Union Building. That's where we are today. And we love partnering with you and having you for a tenant. Well, it's a joy to be here. I love your leadership and the way you've stewarded this organization and all that you do for Southern Baptists across the country. We appreciate you so much. Thank you, John. It's an honor to work with you. You've been a lot of
0: places doing a lot of things that God has called you to do. How do you figure out what God wants you to do for your life? How do you discern His
1: will? Well, for me, discerning God's will is whatever the next best thing is. And discerning what that next best thing is, God's given us some tools. He's given us His Word. It's there. We can read it for ourselves. We see it. He's given the Holy Spirit to come alongside us and to help us to be discerning as we try to determine what that next best thing is that God wants us to do. A friend of mine laid out a little outline that I've been trying to follow for the past few years. It's four simple steps to discerning what God's will is in a situation or in a circumstance. And it begins with the word love. Love is the first. That was Christ's ultimate way of expressing himself. He expressed love first unless he was trying to be coerced into saying something or doing something that he knew was against what the Father wanted him to do. He would think love. Love is the first response. So in any time, in any situation, when I'm thinking about how I should respond, you know, in my humanness so many times it's, well, I wish he hadn't have said that, or I wish he had not done that. I should be thinking, no, how can I show love to that person who may have wronged me, or they said something that I disagreed with? What's the first response that I should have? First response is, I should love them. I should not have any need to think ill of anyone just right off the bat. Maybe they, didn't, they don't know me, they don't know my circumstance, they don't know my background. If my response is always love first, I think that's the, the best way to start.
0: John, that's a great response, but it's easier
1: said than done. Yeah, it's it's really tough, and that's where you go to that next step. Oh, good. All that, right. that next step in discerning God's will for me is I have to listen, and there's two voices that I'm listening to here. The first voice is the person that I may be in a discussion with, or the person that I've bumped into, where I know I need to exude love or show them love, and it all begins with listening. I want to hear their story. I want to hear what they really feel, what they think. And then I also want to be listening to what the Holy Spirit's telling me, too. What am I remembering from what Scripture said in the past? And then once I've determined that I've really heard them and I understand them, the third thing is that discerning, that spirit of discernment that we can get. And that discernment comes from, if I didn't hear them, if I didn't love them first, if I didn't listen to them, how could I discern what the next best position for me would be in helping that person or going forward in this next stage or developing the new ministry or whatever it happens to be. Love, listen, discern. Those are the first three. And then once I have all that together, then it's all about how do I respond. So response is the fourth. Love, listen, discern, and respond. I think whenever we... Go into a new opportunity, whether it's a ministry opportunity or a business opportunity, or it may just be a relationship. If we're not willing to first think love and first think, how can I listen and hear this person all the way through, then I'm never going to get to that discerning spirit. I'm never going to get to that response that's appropriate. So many times I'm guilty of uh, loving last. I want to hear you out before I'm going to decide whether or not I'm going to love you or not. I want to wait until I can trust you. I think Christ trusted first. He laid everything out for us. And if that's the model, then I'm going to trust you first, as opposed to, well, you may look different or think differently, or you may have a different political persuasion. No, my first response is, I want to hear you. I want to love you first and listen to you then I'm going to discern what the next step in our relationship is going to be or the next step in that new ministry or that new business is going to be. And it comes from that spirit of trust first. And the trusting is the place where we submit ourselves either as servant leaders or as followers of Christ to love first. Did that answer your question?
0: It did answer my question. And I think if we could do this as Christians, it would solve most of our problems at church, most of our problems in our family, most of our problems in Christian ministries. But man, leading with love is tough, especially when you've been burned.
1: Exactly, especially if you've been burned. So there are those circumstances where you look at the stove and you see that the eye on the stove is red. I'm not going to touch the eye on the stove <laughs> because it's too red hot. I can't, I can't touch it. Now, if I come into a situation and I, or I'm, I'm encountering a ministry opportunity and I see that it's just too hot to touch right now, then I find a way to love from a distance or love in a manner that's appropriate where they know I'm there, where I may not be able to interject anything at this moment. It may not be time. It may need to cool off first. Then I can come back to it later and they know that I'm still there. I haven't gone anywhere. It wasn't time at that particular moment to do anything about it. There are times when it's just too cold. And you may go into a situation ministry wise or business wise and you see this one's just dead right now. We need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give us that discerning wisdom on how does this thing warm up? How does this thing turn around? How can we re engage if it's been a season where maybe lines of communication have been disconnected or there's been a lack of communication or the communication has been on a bitter tone, then how do we break through the ice? It may be a season of loving and showing warm, loving kindness until it really does break. Again, that goes back to just being there, showing them that you care, that you love, mm-hmm. that you're going to be around them.
0: Well, I don't know how long you've said you've been using this model for a few years i can say that i've seen this model in action through you any time i have a question and i need coaching in the business world i can pick up the phone and no matter what you're doing you say sure i've got time for a conversation let's visit and you're always so kind and gracious to help me but i'm not the only business that you help there are others in the birmingham area and beyond that you take your time to love them well so to speak, in the business world, to help them even when it doesn't benefit your bottom line.
1: That's all a matter of perspective, too, because my bottom line is not my bottom line. If it were, I would run my business completely different than mm-hmm. I do now. We are a for-profit business. We're not a ministry. I like it when we're accused of being a ministry. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. Sometimes my staff wish, wish I weren't so ministerial. <laughs> There are people that are listening
0: to this interview who are Christian business leaders. What advice
1: would you give to Christian business leaders? The perspective that I was mentioning earlier is one of, it's not my business. I gave this business to the Lord. I know that sounds trite, it may sound like words to you, but I had to, I had to give it to the Lord and say, Lord, this is yours. Because if it's mine, and one of the products that we develop are Bibles. We sell Bibles. We're working on a new Bible translation right now with a partner. And if this is mine and it's a Bible, boy, that, that pressure is too much for me. I, I mm-hmm. couldn't sleep at night. Knowing that this is the Lord's business and He has opened opportunities and doors to walk into them, then it's my obedience then to serve the business well because it's His. Now, my name's on the line. If something were to happen, ultimately, the buck stops with me Mm -hmm. on this earth. I really do see it. This is the Lord's. And when He brings us opportunities, the first thing I think is, how does this build kingdom? Or is this just something that I really want to do because I think it's fun? Or is this something that would make a lot of money? Prayerfully, we're doing the things He wants us to do, and He provides the funding so that we can continue to do those things that grow kingdom.
0: Well that's easy to see throughout your business model. Thank you. Love is the response listening. Hear their story and listen to the Holy Spirit, discern and then respond. I'm going to ask you a tough question, John. When have you not done this and what kind of trouble did you get into?
1: Well, about once a day my wife will remind <laughs> me. <laughs> Early on in my ministry, someone came to me and they knew that it was God's will for me to take a particular ministry role. Especially being young and naive, I listened to that language. And When they said, no, this is what God wants you to do, I respected them because it's something they told me, as opposed to me really discerning within my own spirit. Mm-hmm. and me asking and me searching was this really the right thing for me to do was this should i take that response and i got detoured i got sidetracked because no one can determine god's will for your life better than you you're the one that has holy spirit living inside you you're the one who holy spirit speaking to you in a direct conversation and you can only hear best what He's saying to you.
0: I love that. And I want to make sure the listeners heard that. Only you can discern what the Holy Spirit has for you.
1: Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that others might not see it in you. Of course. I certainly had parents and friends who said, John, you make a great musician one day. I was a great musician for about six months. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't what God had called me to do. And He made it known just so boldly in my life that that wasn't what I was to do. If there was a season where I thought I needed to go full bore into another type of business in addition to the ministries that I've helped and the consulting that I've done through the years, God let me know real quick that that was not the direction I was supposed to go, and I suffered as a result of that. Some of those decisions that I've made in the past were very painful and still painful to this day. I still pay for some of those mistakes that I've made. God is so so gracious to allow us to come back to him, he still desires to use us. He's put those ministry and spiritual gifts within us for his purposes and not for your own making, for your own doing, if you will.
0: That was a great example. And I love you wrapping it up with saying how God redeems us. Because, like you mentioned in your life, I can't go a day without making some kind of mistake. Somehow he redeems our lives, he redeems our time, and he uses it for his purposes.
1: He does. He does. And the older I get, those lessons tend to stick better than they used to.
0: (laughs) You're right. Steps toward biblical discernment. Love is the first response. Listening. Hear their story and listen to the Holy Spirit. Then discern what God is saying to you and then respond. John, you gave us great practical insights to help with our everyday life. Thank you for being willing to share today what God has taught you.
1: Well, you're more than welcome. I'll end it with this. When Jesus was walking by and he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus, his first thought wasn't, oh, there's that tax collector. His first thought was, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to go to dinner. At your house, by the way, I want to hear about you. I want to spend time with you. So he saw through what everyone else was obviously keying in on for Zacchaeus, and he loved him first. I want to be like Jesus.
0: I want to join you. Love is the first response. John, thank you for being with us on the podcast today. You're very welcome. It's my joy. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Journey Conversations. John's company acquired WMU's New Hope Publishing, and we partner with them. Visit WMUstore.com and click on New Hope Books to find relevant contemporary issues with a missional focus. Thanks for listening today.